Good evening and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Howdy, I'm boys coming, and girls. I'm coming to you live from the luxurious Comfort Inn in Indianapolis. Uh, wow, it's been a exciting couple of weeks since our last episode. We um, hired a new driver, brought on a new truck. Uh, we'll tell you about that here in a minute. Um, the so that the reason for this episode is I stopped at Larry's house the other day and I got, uh, I got to see some stuff that gave me more of a glimpse into uh, how he ran his previous businesses. I got to see some wedding albums that he did as a photographer. And it just struck me that um, there was this album from, what was it, 2007? Yeah. yeah. So from 2007. And in it were the sleeves that hold DVDs that we used to carry around in our cars back in the well, 90s. Before. Album, album's not the right word. You're, it's a file. Oh, a file, file, book, file folder. File yeah. book. Album designates like photo album. <clears throat> right. So, so basically, this, is, this was how he kept uh, copies of all the digital files from when he did an, a, a wedding. And um, so uh, all the image, digital images... What'd you say from 2000 when you went digital up to the end? And so in this three big three ring binder, which was volume one, by the way, of 2007, were all of the papers and all of the documentation from when he was a photographer so that, you know, he could go back and see uh, from the initial interview with the customer and, and there were these price lists and then I got to see the last big uh, wedding album that he did, which was incredible. You know, let's see, you shot that one from the the golf game before the rehearsal, the rehearsal, the wedding, and the reception. The Thursday morning, groom's golf outing. The Thursday afternoon, bridesmaid's luncheon. No, no, I'm lying to you. Thursday night reception for everybody that came to town. Friday morning golf game for the groomsmen, Friday afternoon luncheon for the bridesmaids, Friday night reception or a rehearsal, rehearsal, and then rehearsal dinner. Then Saturday morning at the bride's house, Saturday morning at the, where we're getting ready at the, at another venue, then the wedding at the cathedral and then the wedding reception at the country club. Then, no, it wasn't the country club. It was their backyard. They put this big, huge tent up, and it was in their backyard, and then in the house as they were getting ready to leave. So then the next morning, we went back over and had breakfast with the family on Sunday morning. So, so I mean, this was a, this was a big deal, right? Big deal. And so what we were talking about was how the difference between one photographer that could go to the church and do the job, they could show up with a camera, they could take the pictures, they could get their check, and then hand the happy couple a flash drive and wish them a happy life, you know? But uh, not Larry Long. <laughs> uh, no, Larry, Larry Long's got the, you know, the $4,000 package and the $5,000 package and the $8,000 package and all of the different things that you could get. And, you know, you, you can go shoot a wedding just like you can go pull a load. Uh, but what is it that you're going to do to set yourself apart? 
And so listening, we sat there for probably an hour and a half just talking about what he did for 35 years um, and, and, and how he was different from the other photographers. And then, of course, goes and replicates it in uh, the dry cleaning business and had, done, had been the guy that would go and, and fix screwed up car dealerships. And so now we have this opportunity here to, you know, because Blue Ribbon exists obviously to serve customers that need loads haul, but it's here also to serve drivers that want to learn how to do what we're doing and now to serve our strategic partners that, that have trucks. And um, I, it just blew me away to see that. I mean, I've heard the stories now that we've known each other. I've heard the stories about the weddings, but I never saw the album. I never saw the finish. I never saw the detail. And I got to see that the other day, and it just it just blew my mind. So I thought it would be a good idea for us to kind of talk about um, what you can do in business, regardless if you're shooting pictures or you're dry cleaning clothes or you're selling cars or you're going up and down the road hauling freight, you know. So um, why, why don't you just talk about that a little bit? Because at some point, I'm guessing from when did you start, about – 1980 or something in the wedding business yeah 77 july 77 okay well i was about six months old uh no i was a year old um so you told the story on 49 about the 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 guy that you learned from you know and you said that he was a he was a good photographer Mm -hmm. um he he was a he was a craftsman right but then at some point you, you decide in that business that you're going to, you're going to go above and beyond. And what was the line you said? If you make them cry, you know, they'll buy or something like that. If, if they're crying, they're buying. If they're crying, they're buying, <laughs> you know, cause y'all can't see where he's sitting right now, but he's in the basement of his house, which used to be the studio and the, what'd you call it? The kind of office, what, what you would expect to be the office where you would sit down and you would, you know, he put on this show and show you all your pictures up on the big or up on the projector screen and, 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 and really spend hours and hours and hours with that computer taking care of these images, you know? Uh, and it just, it made my head hurt just sitting there. Cause I mean, it, I hate just making the, uh, uh, the thumbnails for these podcasts. I, I, I hate art with a, it sucks and i'm so terrible at it you know but to think about the hours because you go shoot the wedding which is an ordeal but then you have to put all this time in after it to to have something to sell after so well how did you get to how'd you get to that point well the wedding the, the 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 craft of photography you know, grew, evolved during the 35 years that I was involved. I mean, when I started in 77, we literally professional photographers had just gotten out of flashbulbs not that long ago. I know it sounds funny to you, but I remember Ray Rose, my mentor, talking to me about he would keep the 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 new flashbulbs in one jacket pocket and the used ones in the other. So he could, he'd, go, he'd bring one out, put it in, take the picture, throw it in his left pocket and do that over and over and over again. Now I never did that. The, I started out with electronic flash, but it was it was 
crude, um, we had this big wet cell battery that weighed, I don't know, probably 20 pounds, maybe on a, in a leather case with a leather strap over it that you hung over your shoulder. And you had to have about three of them to get to a simple wedding. A simple wedding for us back then was probably 200 images, 200 shots, four, five, six hours, you know. And, um, but one of those wet cells would not get you through uh, a wedding. You had to have a couple of them plugged up over in the, you know, against the wall and you'd have to switch them out. <clears throat> and by the end of the day, you're, you're, wore, you know, you're, you're wore out. That sh- you had to switch shoulders because it would just wear you down one way or the other. And so, and of course it progressed. And when we got to, then we got to, uh, you know, thyristor flashes and we got to NICADs and, you know, things lasted a lot, lot, lot longer, a lot easier. And still had to have, even when we switched to NICADs, you had to have about five or six clusters charging all the time, you know. Um, so it just, you know, the, the technology, and, and of course just the, the, the technology, when I started out, we shot, you know, um, long row film, uh, uh, it's called 220. We would get 24 shots if you shot a two and two and a quarter square. We'd get 20 shots if you shot shot a two and two and three quarter rectangle, which we did uh, back then. The big the big mamias we we were two and two by two and three quarter. Now the Hasselblad stuff I did later on was just was just two and a quarter square. And um, but you know it's a it's a big camera it's, it doesn't look like a 35 millimeter and it's a big camera i mean the negative is literally two and a quarter inches square so uh, as opposed to a 35 millimeter negative you like four of them on there you know probably six of them on there and um so the tools changed you know uh, when i started out you know a lot of your concentration was on just the technique you know unlike today there's no chimping you know you can't look down and see what you got you had to just uh, rely on your craft because it was a latent image until you took it into the dark room. You know, the first time you saw the image is when you saw it appear in front of you in the chemistry, you know. So um, you had to kind of have a little confidence in your craft um, because you didn't have that secondary reinforcement of looking down to see if the image is there, you know. That's kind of scary. <laughs> and then. You know, now I, um, I got to the point where I was doing my own film process and a lot of our own lab work. But when I first started out, I didn't, I go shoot a wedding. I take the film and, you know, lick it and stick it and put it in a mailer and, and mail all of your, all of your work. You just trusted to the U S mail, you know, God help you. I, I know now I'm, you know, me, I'm a little more OCD than most people. So I didn't do it that way. Uh, I put, I took three containers and divide the, divided the film up randomly between three containers. And, but I used a, I, I we used, we had these little shipping boxes that were pre-printed, pre-labeled on the front. I used a half a roll of shipping tape on that little box. <laughs> you, you could throw that thing. There's no way you're going to bust it open. I'm sure the lab people just hated me, you know, but I could just see that thing laying there and just, you know, coming unglued and my film rolling out and, so I, I did it in three different containers and shipped it to three from three different mailboxes. And you couldn't put it in a mailbox because the heat ruins film. So you had to take it in and ship it from inside, thinking that they weren't going to sit out in the heat after it got in a truck somewhere, you know. But, you know, <clears throat> I did the best I could. Yeah. Uh, and all those years of doing that, uh, I lost one roll of film in my whole career that uh, could not uh, could not produce, you know. So, um, 
anyway, uh, started doing our own processing and did everything in the house just for the control, you know, and, um, and, and then two, you know, I, um, uh, I don't know how many weddings I did in 35 years. I've, I've done as many as 90 some a year. My average probably was between 40 and 50 and 60, somewhere along in there. So I, you could probably do the math. I don't know. It's a bunch. Okay. Yeah. I never had a wedding that I didn't, that I didn't fulfill the obligation to the customer. <clears throat> now I had one, it was close because my reception when when I was in the mall and we had four photography teams and you know, I had a receptionist. Um, uh, I'm at home having a family reunion and I get this call from this, you know, very, very upset father of the bride wanting to know where the hell we were. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> I'm having dinner with my family. Where are you at? He goes, well, you're supposed to be here photographing my wedding. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I said, let me call you right back. So I call my receptionist and, and of course she's like clueless. And, uh, and so, um, I, uh, um, finally get, um, uh, one of my team members on the phone and I said, look, uh, we, we, we've got a wedding today that, that was scheduled for you. And, uh, you didn't know it cause nobody did. What she'd done is she kept a wedding calendar and she kept everything else calendar, which we eliminated immediately after that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and she put it on the wrong calendar. So my crew didn't see it. You know, I didn't know anything about it. So we got them over there. They, they, they pulled it out. You know, it, it, uh, it, it wasn't, you know i gave a lot of stuff away that day okay Mm -hmm. but uh but we we did it we 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 delivered and uh and it was a very influential family too by the way could could have really been a bad bad thing Mm -hmm. but when it's all said and done they came over and looked at the pictures and you know they sit here and crown on the couch it was all fine then you know so but um you know you just you make a commitment to people and you take their money and you have to deliver you know so um, I don't know the, the, uh, the craft just kept improving obviously. And then eventually the whole world started going digital, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm reminded a lot of what we're going through now with, you know, autonomous trucks and electric trucks and all this stuff, the blockchain, all this stuff of the future that everybody thinks is going to be a long way down the road. I live through that, you know, and for, you know, I literally, I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes people think that I'm some, somewhat of a smart ass. I don't know where they get that, but. No, nah, um, I didn't believe it. <laughs> back when we used to go to trade shows and stuff, there, oh, there'd be all these hundreds of vendors. And what they love to do is shove stuff in your, in your face, their brochure and stuff. And, and, and if you took everything, you'd have to stop halfway through and either go to the room and dump everything or throw it all away and start over again. Cause it would be literally be shopping bags full of this literature and stuff. So I just got to where I would just tell people, no, you know, well, then you had to come up with these creative ways of saying no. So there's this one particular company. They're still around BNH photo in New York city. They're still around. Okay. Very, very, very pushy, aggressive people at the trade show, you know, and, and they're, they were, they were always promoting film, you know, film, film, film. And of course, this is in the, I mean, this is in the, you know, I mean, film was what we did. Film was the mainstay of our business. All right. Without film, we were, you know, Kodak was still a blue chip company at that point in time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I <laughs> told this guy, this, this guy from B&H, 
uh, I said, I don't need your literature. I, when I, he goes, why not? I said, we don't use film. And I never even heard of digital. Okay. So I, I was just being a smart ass. And, you know, in five years, in five years from that time, we weren't using film, you know? Now it could have been earlier because I was dragging my feet to do it. I kind of was, a, I thought that I could, um, uh, you know, could hang on and finish my career and not have to embrace new technology, which is why, by the way, I own lane access shares. So I'm not making that mistake twice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, uh, I knew right then that, uh, uh, it wasn't going to work. And I was already a few years behind the eight ball, but you know, the, uh, a cam uh, the first digital cameras that came out for professional divers were basically a laptop with a 150 millimeter lens sticking out the front of them. It was the oddest looking thing. Go back and look at the old Kodak Kodak first digital cameras, Google them. Look, it's the strangest looking thing you've ever seen. And it's tethered. So, you know, we, I did, I did studio work, but my mainstay was, was wedding photography. And it's like, how the hell are you going to take that to a wedding? You know? So I sit and waited a little bit, but my first digital camera cost over $15,000. It was a DLSR, you know, a, a 35 millimeter format type camera. And, uh, and it, it was called a, a Nikon D100. Okay. I still got it. As a matter of fact. Um, and, we thought we were something, you know, I mean, we, we, we could shoot these images and, and, you know, of course we shot everything raw cause we didn't know what kind of resolution we'd have to produce and what kind of uh, manipulation we'd want to do post-production, you know? And so, uh, and I look at the, the very first iPhone I had, you know, blew that camera out of the, I mean, it was, it was, it was like a, a different, completely different quality level, you know? And I paid what, what was the, what the first, I, I, my first iPhone was a four. What did I pay for that? Chris, maybe probably I'm 800, 750, 800. Yeah. Yeah. I paid $15,000 for a camera that this it couldn't, couldn't hold this. It couldn't hold water against this thing. Okay. I'm watching the comments. You just blew Richie's mind. <laughs> and, and, look, and, and look, there's something about photography. You can't own one of anything. Okay. You have to have at least two of everything because what happens if number one lays down? Okay. So it's not one camera, $15,000. It's more than one. And if you have a crew, like I had, I had three shooters went with me. That's three or four $15,000 cameras. Okay. So it That's wasn't incredible. a cheap thing to get into. All right. It's still not cheap. All right. But, uh, it's certainly a lot cheaper than it was then. I have, I have a friend that that's a photographer now and, and a really good one. Right. And I love watching the, the, he puts himself in these contortionist positions to get that shot. I've, I've yeah. literally seen him lay in a Creek because all these senior portraits now they got to be outdoors and they got to have all this stuff. And I've seen him lay in a Creek just so he can get that right shot. You know, oh, I've been there. I've I, listen. I, you know, some of the stuff you saw. You know, we do a lot of artistic kind of stuff. You know, and we would take them out in there. You know, I I would scope out what I'd love to do at the wedding was once they cut the cake and everybody's having a party, I would try to get the bride and groom to go with me so we could go out on our own and 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 exploit something at that venue that was that would make a a, a great you know, artistic shot, you know, so we'd be out on the golf course or we'd be in a Creek or, 
you know, and at this point in time, they're really not too worried about what the dress looks like because it's that, that deal's done, you know. So they're a little more risky with what they'll do, you know. And um, I, I had a couple of, uh, of standard shots. I did, I did one. If you can imagine a football huddle, if you can imagine a camera laying on the ground in a football huddle, okay, I would do that with the bridesmaids and their, and their bouquets. So I had to literally lay on my back. One of those girls had to straddle me. Okay. For this to work. And I, and I'm shooting up at them and I have to make sure they pull their chins down. Cause otherwise you'd be shooting right up their nose. So, <laughs> but that was one of my most popular pictures. Another one we did, we call it the flying veil. We, we would take a, it's called tool, but a veil that netting is called tool. And we would take a ream of that with us all the time. Cause we never knew what kind of veils we we're going to have. And I needed this, this picture had to have a really, really, really long veil. Okay. So we would uh, attach it under the bride's veil and Mary Lou, my wife, she would string it all out. It would be about, I don't know, 10, 15 feet long. And we let it catch in the wind. And so you had this real, di- this real dynamic line that, 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 you know, sets the, the tone of the picture, you know, and then we would do it kind of silhouette and everything like that. But, you know, we had these things that we were, that people came us to us expecting that, or, you know, they would be disappointed. So. I don't know how we got to this part. What, what was the question you originally asked me? Well, I'm, here's what I'm, I mean, as I'm listening to you talk and I've, and I've heard all these stories, right? I'm sitting here thinking about 25 years of trucking and, and all we've done is make it easier, you know, from, from when I started with a, with a paper map and, and, a, and an exit guide, uh, to here we are, have all this technology and people still can't figure out where the hell they're going, you know, um, but the trucks are easier to drive and the, the routes are easier to find. And we have all of these tools and stuff at our, our, our beck and call. And you, you're, we're, we're taking advantage of being off the bleeding edge. You know, all this stuff is really cheap. I mean, I can literally run the entire business of blue ribbon with this phone. You know, I, and, and, and it's a thousand dollars, you know, and you were, you were having to be on the bleeding edge to compete, you know, paying $15,000 for a camera. Um, and it's just, it's just amazing. And, and to have to, to, to be the craft and give that level of service, um, to Bridezilla, you know, yeah. and, and, well, and deal yeah. with the emotions and, and, and I mean, everything's heightened on wedding day my oh, god yeah. you know yeah. um and then translating it now to what we're doing is using the technology available but also not going and paying for the fifteen thousand dollar camera which is the hundred and fifty thousand dollar truck you know um we we bought a truck this week for eighteen thousand five hundred dollars and it's it's probably the best truck in the fleet you know and we don't have to make huge, huge investments other than time. Um, you know, it's just, it's just fascinating to, to hear those stories. Well, about- I think, I think the point you were trying to get at that I kind of got off on a tangent and forgot about was that even with all the, 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 the thing that was constant through all of that is that, 
people didn't come to me necessarily for the technology. They didn't right. really know what I was going to use. They didn't really, especially the film. They, nobody understands film. That's like some kind of magic show, you know. You, yeah. You come up with something, you come out, I mean, you know, where is it? It's done there, and now here it is. And and I, I talk about this when we do our seminars. You know, I'm, I use an example of an 8 by 10 you know, photograph, you know, because the the thing that made me successful it, it wasn't necessarily just my embracing the technology because I was, as you well know, I'm a little slow embracing technology, you know, um, because it, it's not really what matters. You know, it, it's not the thing that pe- that's not why people spent money with me. It's not why I built the business to where it was because they didn't give a shit what kind of camera I use. Right. What, what brought them to me was, first of all, my passion for it and the fact that my, you know, the relationship that I, that I was fortunate enough to be involved in, you know, not only did, not only did I, my bedside manner have to be a certain thing to get them to trust me and to relax and that sort of thing. But man, I'm, I'm at a, I'm at the, the probably the most important day in a young lady's life. I mean, she's grown up from a little girl dreaming about this day, you know, daddy has spent a ton of money. They didn't have to do it. <laughs> to impress a bunch of people that they don't like. And, um, you know, and, and, and I get paid to show up and I'm, I'm on the inside here. I'm, I'm a trusted confidant. You know, I get to go in places where no one else can go, you know? And, um, and so I could see the opportunity in that really, really early. Now, when I worked with Ray and the guy that started me, you know, Ray was good, but, but, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm better. Okay. Ray, Ray left money on the table because he didn't try to, uh, I don't want to say take advantage, but he didn't, he, he, well, he, he, he sold photographs. Okay. And he was, you know, people liked him. Hell, he was my wedding photographer. We've got him upstairs right now, but they're, they're, they're photographs, okay? And uh, I go to a wedding. I'm looking for that image. I'm looking for, I'm looking for that um, that uh, bridesmaid whose little girl's with her that's dressed up, you know, and they've never had a picture together like that ever. Uh, you know, I'm looking for, you know, that I'm just I'm finding that relationship, and they don't even know I'm doing it. You know, I I made as much money off of the not the customers that hired me. At a way, and I did the customer to hire me because I was always observant for that relationship. <clears throat> and you get back to that, you know, pe- people would, uh, you, I mean, you can go to Walmart and get an eight by 10 photograph for a couple bucks. You know, I sold mine for $60, okay, 60 bucks. And that's just for one that goes in an album. If you're going to put it on a wall, well, first of all, we're never going to put an eight by 10 on a wall, but I sold 30 by 40s you know, for about $4,500, you know? So, and that's an image. That's a, there's one hanging on my wall right there. You saw it when you were here the other day. Mm-hmm. Okay. But people don't pay that because of the, the frame and the size of the picture. That's not why they buy it. They buy it because of what's on it and what, and how important that is to them. And the, 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 um, the memory that comes with looking at that, you know, again. So, and I understood that. And, and it, and the, and the, the relationship here is the same thing we try to teach our guys every day, you know, 
anybody can go out there and haul freight. We, we've, we coined a phrase that Kevin Rutherford stole from us, you know. There's lots of capacity, but we don't find a lot of competition because nobody does it the way we do it. We get compliments every day about, I mean, it's hardly a day goes by that we only get a compliment about what great communicators you are. Great job, you know. And uh, it's not because we show up with fancy trucks because that's not really what's important, you know. Right. It's what can't get across. It doesn't really matter what you show up in. It's how you show up and that you show up, you know, and yeah. that you show up and don't act like an ass, you know, and, uh, even when things get sideways, you know, being the adult in the room, I mean, that's what, that's what, in the end, that's what really, really matters, you know? Um, and it doesn't matter what business you're in. It, it, it honestly doesn't, you know, I mean, what I did in photography, what I did in the dry cleaning business, what I did in the car business, it's all about relationships. And I know it's such a, you know, such a everyday phrase that we hear here, you know, build relationship, build relationship. But that's the craft. That's the art. That's what separates, you know, a, a um, well, I mean, you saw my wedding price list, okay? I was the highest priced wedding photographer in Central, probably in the state. I had a couple of guys in Louisville that were about the same as me. But people had a choice. They didn't, nobody held a gun to their head here. You know, they, 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 most of the time people came here because they, their best friend wedding I did, you know. So <clears throat> it, it, if you, if you allow yourself to be a commodity, then you're only going to be judged on price. Okay. And that's what trucking is. It's a commodity, you know, the cheapest wins. If you play that game, if you don't add value, you know, value added is what changes it from commodity to something that people will pay extra for. Yeah. You're a good example. Your wind core load, you know, mm -hmm. they pay extra for you because you bring value and you bring reliability and you bring, you know, uh, a reputation and you have a passion. You don't, you don't list look in the back of the truck and throw the windows out. Okay. You go through and make sure that the windows that didn't match that order gets back to the customer before. Cause everybody else doesn't do it that way. Is that what you want me to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you have said, and, and I, I kind of get it now that this was the easiest business that you've ever been into because I mean, totally. you, you, you just call somebody and, and they'll give you a load and, and you, all you have to do is deliver it and they'll pay. You don't, you don't have to go through everything that you have to go through in every other business. Well, there's, um, there's there, first of all, there's, there's no, there's no sales involved. You don't have to market. You don't have to advertise. You don't have to get out here and beat the street and look for, we make fun of the guys that do that. We call those agents. Okay. <laughs> the ones that do all that, we, we, we call them assholes. Okay. But they're the ones doing all that stuff that you don't do. Cause all you have to do is look on the low board and choose which one. Okay. Then all you have to do is show up because that will eliminate the majority of your competition. If you don't believe me, check out some of the, the uh, comments on Facebook about how BCOs act. Okay. 
So then all you got to do is do is just do what you're supposed to do. Not very hard. And then you bump the dock and deliver the things. And guess what? You get, you get paid, you know, there's no collection. There's no chase. You know, I dealt with what sometimes families for a year after a wedding, because you know, I mean, you after the wedding, the emotions are gone. You know, they're going to go buy a car or buy a house or whatever. And now all of a sudden what you did is not as important anymore as what they're going to get and just have a baby or whatever. There's other things they can do that the money becomes more important for us. I learned about that really quick, too. I got paid way in advance. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, and we don't have to do that. We bump the low, we get paid to go do it. And the, one, the thing I like the most about, about this business when I started in it is that it was so zen. You know, I'm used to dealing with all these people and all uh, 200 wedding guests and, you know, the mother-in-law and, and everybody. And and after a wedding, you got to deal with, the, you know, got all this stuff you're talking about. I, I spent eight hours at a wedding, spent 25 hours back here doing uh, image manipulation and then pre prepare for uh, the uh, presentation take the order, spend another 10, 12 hours to design an album, you know? So, I mean, you look up and you get all the, all we do is back up to a dock. It's done. There's no wake behind the truck of details that are behind a wedding photographer for the next year or more, you know? And you do it over again, you know? Um, <laughs> go, go, go look at the real business world. You know, what it takes to go in business, you know, before you make your, you can, you can make your, you can make a profit in this business on the first, on the first job, first load. It takes, yep. it takes real businesses four or five years to turn first profit. You know, you can do it here on day one, you know? So, yeah. Now you got to, again, you, you can't be a commodity because commodity guys make $60,000 a year as an owner operator. And guys who aren't commodity guys make $200,000 a year as an owner-operator. That's and a the, huge jump. And the difference is one's a commodity and they're just being compared for price only. And one is value added. <clears throat> yeah. I, um, That's why it's so easy for me. I don't know. Maybe it's hard yeah. for others, but to me, it's the simplest thing I've ever done. <clears throat> and I've gone from, knowing nothing about this business in 2008, 2007, when you were here, <clears throat> I went to, I went to CDL school in 2008 and, um, hauled my first load. Um, I don't know. I, my, I, I started my training on, on Labor Day weekend. So 30 days later, sometime about October of 2008, I'll fall my first load today. Uh, what is it? 13 years later? No, 2008. How far is it? 2008. Yeah, it'd be 13. 13 years later. We have 13 trucks. Okay. Um, what did we say we were going to do? Um, it, I don't know, three or four million dollars of business with Landstar this year. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's only, we, we only had half those trucks for the first half of the year. I don't yeah. know. No, I know nothing about the trucking business, or knew nothing about the trucking business. Yeah, I, I was telling a guy the other day we, we were talking and new acquaintance, and I said, "Well, we had five trucks at the beginning of the pandemic," and he stopped dead in his tracks. He was he was walking when I said that. He goes, "What? You had what?" 
I said, we had five trucks when the pandemic started. You know, now we got 13. And may have 15 by the end of the year, you know. Um, but it's it, it's not to say that there aren't difficulties with this business, because there are. You know, we, we got a lot of moving parts. We got a lot of people in different places at different levels of, of uh, not competence, that, that, that different levels of ability, uh, ability, you know, and, and, and having to meet everybody where they are, you know, and that, and that's a challenge, you know, cause you can't expect every, nobody, not everybody's going to be the same. They're all going to be different and tr- trying to, it's herding cats, um, you know, and then a load cancels. All right. Well, now we got to replace it. I don't have time to whine about it. You know, I, I, I got to replace it. And then I got to go on because I've, I've got, to th- okay, well, I can't tear the whole thing down. Um, I don't want to tear the whole thing down. I want to keep it intact. And, you know, then I get to be like the guy that's looking for a load today and I get to make 50 phone calls, you know, to, to maybe book a load that paid half of what I had before. But what, what else am I going to do? You know, crying about it's not going to help. But that's business. That that That's not unexpected. That's expected. That's business. You know, it's it. Other businesses have the same issues, you know. Um, you know, we talk about failure. There's a reason why most businesses, over half the businesses, are gone in 10 years. Yeah. Their ability to handle the unexpected, which I say is expected if you prepare for it. Have we talked about, I don't think we've had a podcast since we discovered this shop, have we? I can't remember. Um, I don't remember. I, Larry's I know. Not, Larry's we, I know. Not, I know. We haven't told anybody who it is and where it is, and right. I'm not sure I'm going Larry, to yet. <laughs> yeah, Larry's not sure he wants to share it with y'all yet. Y'all have y'all have destroyed Carl. Okay, Carl, the boy can't sleep. Okay, we can't get anything worked on from him anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I've got a truck that's literally been sitting there six weeks in his driveway that I don't think he's touched. Thanks to yeah. you all. You're welcome. So. And here's the thing. There's so many things that happen by accident. You just can't plan it. Okay. We had a truck that we wanted to get the diesel force cleaning done on. We had Bruce at the event and, and, and he talked up, you know, the diesel force cleaning and everything. And I called Pittsburgh power and they're like, yeah, come, well, except one thing we don't do pack cars. And I'm like, well, what the hell? So I called diesel force corporate office and I'm like, dude, I need a, who does pack cars? Because their training video or their marketing video is literally done on a pie car. Yeah. So he mentioned the name of this shop, and I gave him a call. And I'm thinking, because Pittsburgh Power, it's two months to get in. And I called the guy, and I said, uh, will you do a pie car? And he's like, yeah, we'll do a pie car. And I said, well, how much advance you need? He said, can you be here today? And I'm like, no. I said, I'll be there Monday. So he's like, well, yeah, come on up. And so I dropped the truck off, and. Larry and I went on a little excursion to Northern Michigan to look at a truck. And so here's the thing about this truck. It's Which a, truck? Which truck? The one we bought or the one we did the diesel force clean on? The one we did the diesel force clean. So it's an 18, oh. pi, 18 T680 with a Packard. A million MX miles. 13. Million miles. Was it a team truck? Bought, was a team truck. Yeah. 
it was a FedEx contractor truck ran from LA to Orlando and back every week for three years. So truck had nine twenty five or something on it when 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 the guy bought it. All right, so it starts having check engine lights, start having issues. It's derating. So driver stops at a TA. TA says it's EGR codes. So I got him into the Kenworth dealer one night at like midnight, and they pulled the codes, and they said, well, it's a fuel pressure issue. And I said, what about EGR? They said, we don't see EGR. We just see fuel pressure. Okay, Carl looks at it. Carl says, yeah, it's an EGR code of some kind. Some kind. Okay. So we take it up to this place, right? And they said, well, we have an EGR code and fuel pressure. And I'm like, hmm. So you got both of them. All right. And so what was so amazing was not only did they find it, but they explained why. They said, well, here's what, here's what this code is and here's what creates it. And here's what this code is and here's what creates it. Now, it required a couple of $1,600 fuel pumps to fix it, um, which it did. Um, you know, but I can buy 16 Detroit Diesel 60 Series fuel pumps for the price of one PICAR fuel pump. So, but it was just an unbelievable level of service. And they do everything. Paint, body, frame, engine, transmission. You know, there's never, uh, oh, no, we don't do that. Not one time. It, you know, um, and, and so we're just, we're just walking around this place going, holy, holy crap. Like, how is this real? If I was going to build a shop, that would be it. And this shop started with one guy in a service truck, you know, and now he's got two locations. Um, and and here's the here's the most impressive. And I asked him this. I said, uh, Justin, I said, I know how hard it is to find drivers. How do you mm -hmm. find these technicians? He goes, well, we hand raise them. <laughs> I'm like, you do what? He goes, well, I say, explain. He goes, well, we, we, we get them straight out of vocational school. We provide all the tools they need. Okay. Everything they need. They don't have to have anything. And what normally takes five years to learn, they learn here in 90 days. I'm like, you do what? And he went on to talk about their Monday lunches and all, I mean, all this, they've got basically a blue ribbon, ribbon program right there for techs. Mm -hmm. They make, they, they, and it, it, it's, it's amazing. And listen, you've heard me talk about that important question that you ask when you, when you want to know if somebody wants to know they're talking about that three letter question. Why? Well, we asked that question to the guy who did, who, who found all these codes and did the diagnosis on this truck. And you sit there and your mouth fell open with all the knowledge and information that he had, not out of a book. He's sitting there mm -hmm. telling you this, 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 and this, and and you know what? It made sense, you know. It, yeah. It, you didn't. You didn't look at him like, well, what? You know. He explained it, and it made sense. And guess what? He was right. Yep. And so, and I, the the owner gave me a ride to the airport to pick up a rental car, and I told you him need, go down the road. Hang on, I, you need to know this shop. Well, listen, $1,000 to my account in the morning, and I'll divulge <laughs> it to you, okay? <laughs> I'm riding down the road with him, and I said, listen, I mean, we want to tell we want to tell everybody about this, but, I mean, we, you know, I, I might keep it a secret, you know? I mean. Yes, we might. 
<laughs> it's one it's, one one Bitcoin, and we'll we'll reveal. Okay, <laughs> one Bitcoin. You know, obviously, we're we're still building the relationship, and you know, it's not like we're testing them because I I feel like they've been tested and they passed. Um, but you know, you can just see the process of of how they go about finding a diagnosis. Oh, and by the way, you know, the parts guy is incredible, you know, because there ain't no, oh, it's on 52-week back, or he's going to go find it, you know. All these and, parts that these Kenworth guys can't find right now, now these knock sensors, he can get yeah, them. They got them. Yeah. They don't <laughs> mess around. You may tell you but, something. You may tell you something the most impressive. Well, not the, the thing that got me first when you walked in there, Chris. <clears throat> mm-hmm. You walked in there and you think you're at the parts counter because you are. And there's two computer terminals right there. And mm-hmm. on the back of them, it says, hi, my name is Justin. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. The other one says, hi, my name is Mark. How can I help you? Well, Mark's the parts manager and Justin's the service manager. Now, when's the last time you saw that? That's Usually, the, right. They, the one attitude. don't know what the other one's doing. Yeah. That's the attitude that we're talking about, you know. It, listen, I've been doing, I'm, I've been in dealerships all of my life. Okay. I grew up in one. My dad was in a deal in the dealership business. <clears throat> I'm not easily impressed. Now this is not a franchise dealership like Kenworth Frontline. It's an independent, <clears throat> but anyway, my point I'm making is I'm not easily impressed. We left there shaking our head, you know? And, uh, we put now, listen, we love Carl. Don't get me wrong, but you all have covered him up. So we're having to find an alternate. So our plan B right now is, uh, this shop. Um, <clears throat> it's not in West Virginia. I can just, I'll tell you that part. Okay. So, um, uh, it's, it's way up in Fairbanks. Okay. Alaska. So, <laughs> well, now let's, contra- to, but- now let's contrast this. Okay. By going to the Freightliner. Just a, what a day later, the next day, we were we were at the Freightliner on Friday. We were at this place on Monday, right? No, we went to the Freightliner after that because we oh, it oh, was that, it was after. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's so right. we have we have we were a, there on a, Monday. We're at the Freightliner yeah. on Friday. So we um, we got an O four uh, Columbia twelve seven EGR. Uh, I was at this Freightliner twice, March and three, April. Three times. Excuse me. Right. This is the third time. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was there in March, and then we went back and still had EGR issues, and that was about a six thousand dollar bill. And now we're back, right? And we had Larry had built this great relationship with a service manager and we thought incorrectly. Well, the only reason we went there is because the service manager agreed to meet me and you. And we mm -hmm. sat there and we had a two hour meeting and we discussed all of our expectations and they sort of did the same thing that day that this shop did to us. Kind of. Okay. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it sounded good. It looked good. It, 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 you know, I I had, I, I had expectations that we might have finally, finally, because again, it all comes down to relationships, okay? So we sat there and we we formed what I thought was the beginning of a great relationship. And it was. The truck was there the first time we pick it up. It, they kind of did everything they said they were going to do. 
until it had a problem. And then we take it back. And guess what? The guy we built the relationship, he's gone. And so they've been looking for a replacement service manager since then. We were there Friday. We find out that weeks later, I don't know how many, it's been a while. Okay. They finally just took the parts manager. Who's been a parts manager for 32 years and made him the service manager. Now, I, a lot of y'all don't get that, but I'm going to tell you right now, that is just, that, that is, he is a complete disaster. Okay? That was not a promotion. That was a punishment. And cause he's never dealt with technicians before the, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, the, uh, you know, the, um, well, they're, they're going to run the, sh- they're going to overrun him, run the shop. There'll be no leadership yeah. there. And that's the problem now is there's no, con- there's no communication between the, the guys doing the work. And that was our problem. You know, we sat there and talked for two hours about, look, do not put something back on our trucks. That's rubber. And, and was going to break on the side of the road in, in, in two weeks. We get over there and guess what they did. The reason it's there right now, uh, it, 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 it had some type of a, of, of an exhaust problem. Carl looked at it and all the manifold bolts you could, you could tighten with your fingers. So we go in yeah. there and of course their excuse is, well, that manifold must've warped. I'm like, yeah, it warped and loosened all the nuts up. Right. Yeah. In 10,000 miles. So here's the contrast, right? We have one shop that never says it's not that they don't say no, but and then the other one is, oh, well, oh man, we can't do that. We can't do that. Well, we can't do that. No, no, we can't do that. And, um, it, they don't want to do that, yeah. you know, and, um, we, you know, now we've got this $5,000 air conditioner that we're dealing with. It's just one cluster from, from one disaster to the next. And every person that touches it screws it up worse than it was before. Um, you know, I, uh, so frustrating, so frustrating, but here's, Uh, but here's a shop. Here's a shop. Now, hopefully we're not wrong so far. We've, we've not been disappointed, but here's a shop that gets it. You know, Mm -hmm. they got the same hand tools we see everywhere else. They don't have anything that no one else does except the desire to want to do it right. You know, Chris went, went to lunch with the owner and didn't even know he's the owner find out after he's out with him oh i'm the guy oh it's hard this place yeah yeah we get he goes well he took me to the airport and we're pulling out of the parking lot and i said so how long you been here he goes i started it oh (laughs) so you're that guy okay um and we had a great conversation going down the road about he's the one that told me that in most most cases it takes five years so five years yeah Five years to learn 80% of what they need to know. And they do it in 90 days, you know, cause he, Oh, uh, what do you call it? Cross check. Okay. If you diagnose a truck and you're a senior tech, you have to go to a junior tech. If you're a junior tech, you have to go to senior tech. And he said, what he finds with the senior tech going to the junior tech is when the, um, when the, the senior tech goes to the junior tech, I saw that comment. Uh, when the senior tech goes to the junior tech, it, it is he's about to explain what he's found. He will check himself right in in that training process, and of course the junior going to the senior, and so everything is cross checked and cross checked um, at, at every time. And I watched it. You know, it was a, a 
younger guy was doing something on a Kenworth or a Cummins, you know, and, and that's the guy that was working on our truck goes over there and well, this is how you run the belt. And, and it's just, it's fascinating to watch. The other cool thing that you didn't get to see was they had, uh, I had watched Justin take a phone call from a guy and, you know, and I heard him say, well, you know, man, when do you need the truck? And the guy's like, yeah, I guess the guy's like, I need it now. And he's like, well, man, I'd really love to have it done for you today, but I'm just not sure. Well, so I'm getting ready to roll out. It's six o'clock and the whole place is a ghost town, except these two guys that are thrashing on this Kenworth get the transmission back in it. You know, when the doors got locked at five o'clock, not everybody went home because two of them stayed there to put that truck back together because the customer needed it today. You know, and you just don't find that uh, just about anywhere else. So let me tell you what we're all laughing about. <laughs> Rocky says, I know a guy can build a motor while you sleep tonight, but need a good AC guy. This one I got's killing me. God, I might that this. So we, I did the video before about the $1,300 air conditioner. This is what we're talking about. Yeah. From that to we put a line on and then the line breaks and we put it on again. And then some Jack wagon last night broke the condenser, uh, and then vacated the premises and left. And so we've had TA corporate involved now. So I'm, I'm moderately hopeful that we have finally got some people, mm-hmm. uh, oh, and Michael Reuter says there are no good mechanics in Fairbanks. So you can't that. sell that one. I know yeah. I got to pick someplace else. <laughs> British Columbia. How's that? So, yeah, but no, going back to it, I mean, the, the difference in this shop, I mean, obviously that, I mean, all got the same stuff the, you know, the equipment looks the same, but it's the attitude. They want to serve the customer, which is something that we can't find anywhere in the shop business. Nobody, nobody wants to serve. They, they, the expectation is that the customers are here for us. You know, it, it, it all revolves around, well, it, it doesn't matter if we're going to, you know, inconvenience the customer. Let's just do what's best for us. And that's the problem we have. Yeah, I, I told this guy, I said, look, <clears throat> if we let this out, we're going we're gonna to kill you, okay? You, you'll have to, they've got a lot of land. You're going to have to build a whole lot more buildings and find a whole lot more of these kids you find. Because if people find out that there's a shop that really gives a shit, Yep. Look out. Look out. Um, yeah. So I'm not ready to, I don't want to do it to the guy yet. We, we give, we're going to have to give him a little chance to get ready. But uh, I'm telling you, if, 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 unless we're, unless we're drastically, drastically mis, uh, you know, misled here, which I, I, I can't see that. I'm, I, no. Not, you know. Uh, I but, saw, so I saw a negative review. <laughs> it was so precious oh yeah, on their, yeah. on their Google reviews. And this guy was like, they, these people are crooks and they overcharge and, and, and I wouldn't recommend them to my worst enemy and all this stuff. And I mean, this guy's just ripping them. And there's a response from the shop and it was like, Hey buddy, number one, you're the driver. Okay. You didn't pay the bill. You don't even know how much the bill was. Um, you know, your company was great to work with. So I got the full story on that. They had a fuel issue, uh, it was on a pack car and they would fix one problem, which would lead to another problem. And they kept chasing them down. And of course it's a damn pack car and waiting on parts and waiting on parts and waiting on parts. And so the driver is calling them every day and harassing them. 
And they're like, buddy, are you paying the bill? Well, no, I'm the driver. Then shut up, you know? <laughs> and he's like, if you're not paying the bill, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You know? And so the guy calls again and he's like, you got to order these parts. He's like, you want me to send you the bill? Well, no. Again, I will send you the bill if you want to pay for the parts. So come on down, Hoss. Um, so it was pretty comical to hear them tell that story. But well, let me let me let me put some perspective on that. Okay, when you called them and set up the appointment to take that truck up there, they thought you were just a driver. Mm -hmm. What'd they say? Bring it up here. Leave the keys. We've got a car you can take mm -hmm. and drive while we got your truck here. Yeah, For I had told him. I had told him, I'm like, well, I'll get an Uber to a hotel or something. He's like, we got a car. We'll just leave keys in it for you. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, and, uh, I don't know. You just, you just don't find that level of service. And you would think that's what, uh, I think Zeke, I think Zeke was telling me that, uh, no, it was Byron said a friend of his is like a diesel mechanic and a guy was wanting to get into driving or something. And he was like, dude if you could work on trucks and I don't know how in the world did they not see the opportunity, um, that there is when there's so many idiots. I mean, you talk about, you talk about capacity and competition. I, it, there is none. There's literally no competition. Um, but you know, I, I and, and I, I was talking to, um, I was talking to a guy yesterday and he said, look, I'm not a mechanic and I'm not sure I want to be one. And I said, I get that. Okay. But what you have to do, if you're going to be in business, if you're going to be an owner operator, you have at least got to invest the time to understand the system so that you know when somebody's feeding your line of bullshit, uh, you know, you don't have to turn the wrenches. No, you don't have to get out there and get dirty, but you have to understand the fuel system. You have to understand the brakes. You have to understand the suspension so that when somebody's trying to feed you a line of hogwash, you can say, no, I don't, I don't think that's what we're going to do because when you're the guy paying the bill, you're in charge. The shop form is not in charge. The mechanic's not in charge. You're in charge. Sometimes but you have if to remind you, them of that, but yeah. Um, and, and I've, and I've reminded plenty of them who's paying the bill. Oh, I'm paying the bill. So you're going to do what I tell you, right? Well, I guess so. You're damn right see, you are. See how I've created, uh, created a monster here, everybody. He didn't act like that before he met me. Right. Uh, you know, I, but so, so, you know, even back to, to Larry's photography example or, or his dry cleaning business, if you don't understand um, if you don't understand how to create that value, you know, and here's what's, this drives me crazy. We get these comments for, on behalf of our drivers, you know, thank you so much for communicating. And I went through with a new hire and I showed the thread of emails and the driver literally Acknowledged the load. Received. Thanks. Okay. Then he gets to the shipper. Hey, I arrived at the shipper. Uh, I'm loaded. Um, hey, my ETA is 1,300. 
uh, I've arrived at the shipper. Uh, I'm empty. Thanks for the load. That's it. All he did, he probably typed out 12 words in five emails to this agent, and this agent said he needed to teach a class at Landstar. <laughs> but that shows you how bad it is. Yeah. Because he, t he used 12 words to communicate. Most of them, it's zero. They won't tell you when they've got the load. And bless her, I don't know if it's Eastern Europeans are just really impatient, but I have some agents I'll book a load with. And it's like they hit enter on their computer to send me the email and then instantly call, have you got it yet? And I'm like, right. dude, my phone just lit. Get, give me a second, you know? Yeah. I'll be glad to acknowledge the load, but you got to like wait for the internet to let it get here. But they're so used to working with people who won't. So I mean, I get it, you know. <clears throat> well, we just hired a we just hired a former BCO, and his first interview was a little rough because we, we were kind of hard on him. And I said, "Listen, man, I'm I'm not trying to punch you in the mouth right now. Okay, it may feel that way, but you got to understand, most BCOs are ignorant, arrogant pricks, you know. And I'm not gonna. I am absolutely one hundred percent." Not going to put up with that. So if you come here with the attitude of a regular BCO, you're going to have a hard life because I am absolutely not going to put up with it. And well, so I just had to make sure he knew that if you were here long enough to get infected with the BCO disease, that that ain't going to fly. Well, he's the first one we've ever hired, I guess, because <clears throat> I generally don't even... Well, Cindy was. Cindy was. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But, you know, we, cause we get the call. Well, Larry, I don't get the calls. Thank God. Larry gets the calls from got Landstar. One to, got one today. You know, of guys that are, cause Larry's like the BCO graveyard um, of when somebody calls Landstar and they got their ass in a sling and Landstar's like, here, call Larry, you know, um, and he gets the calls from the guys. And right now, the the common thing is, yeah, my one box is out, or it's a knock sensor, and, and I can't get one for four months. You know, what am I going to do? You know? Well, had I don't think I've told you this. I had one today. Okay? Team. Team. <clears throat> Call me. They do 7,000 miles a week. Okay? And um, one box. So she, she said... We're talking through her options, okay? And and she said, "Now, do you? It, it's at a dealership. They they can get a new one in a few months. Don't you think that I could go up there and just talk talk to them, and they could take one off of a new truck and put it on mine, and then when theirs comes in, just put it back on theirs?" <laughs> I said, "No, I don't. I don't think they're going to do that." She goes, "Well, uh, well, I, maybe I could just go buy an old beater truck and just drive it till it comes in, and then sell it." I said, well, I, I like that idea. I said, but here's the here's the way I would do it, though. I'd go buy the beater truck you're talking about and get rid of the one you got. Okay? And she goes, what do you mean? I goes, well, look, I've got beater trucks. I don't have anything down for a one box. Okay? Um, I I've never had to call another BCO and ask for a job. But yet every day I get BCOs who have these trucks that... All they do is brag about them on Facebook. 
<clears throat> and they want to come drive for me in one of my trucks because they can't get theirs fixed. So maybe beater truck's the way to go here. Well, that conversation didn't last long. She thought I was a jerk. I know. <laughs> Look, I mean, I've, I've, I've been there, you know, broke, desperate, and stupid. You know, I, I've lived it, man, you know, and I sure as hell don't want to ever live it again. Uh, but that's that's what people. Well, we bought we bought a truck. Let's talk about the truck. Okay. Truck comes up on Facebook, and in 15 minutes, I'm talking to the guy on the phone because it checked all the boxes. And the more I talked to the guy, and the more the provenance we verified, it was um, it was one of those ones where I knew if I didn't jump on it, it'd be gone before I hung up the phone. Yeah. So I basically bought the truck asking price side end scene, except for, I don't know, a dozen pictures. So we, um, <laughs> we violated so many rules that we bought from a BCO. Yeah. Bought yeah. a side end scene, you know, so but, it's a, it's a 99 century. Okay. It's got a 1.234 million on it. Documented though, verifiable, uh, overhaul, uh, 300,000 miles ago, paperwork. And, um, I won't go into all the details, but we, we get up there and we look at the truck and it, it's, it's as advertised. Okay. It, it's, yep. it, it, it's everything he said it was. And even a little bit more that we didn't even notice. So I, we didn't even drive the truck, paid the guy, which is a little bit of a story. My son, was supposed to be there with a cashier's check and he makes it out. He spells the guy's last name wrong. We're up there on Sunday with a cashier's check. That's worthless now trying to figure out how to get this guy paid on a Sunday. So that was a, a fiasco. But anyway, we finally got it figured out. So we, we drove it for the very first time after we paid for it. So don't do any of this. Okay. This is not the way to do this. All right. So we get driving down the road. We find the first issue, and that is that somebody had to have changed the rear end gears because we had had seen the build sheet and the gears were two seventy nines. He calls me about an hour down the road, going, "Dude, this is sixteen hundred RPMs at sixty five miles per hour." And I go, mm, "That don't sound right." So we stop for the night and have dinner, and I get my laptop out. And we start doing the computations and figured out it has to be. He had to switch from two seventy nines to two ninety somethings, two ninety fours, or whatever. So, um, so I'm thinking, okay, well, how can we fix this without spending six grand to change the gears? And so I got, I got to look and it. it's got, it's got regular dual tires on it. All right. We obviously are going to put singles on it and singles are 40.1 inches for the, for the regular 225, 445.50s. I said, you know what? We could put 455.50s on it. I looked up and those are 41.9 inches. So we picked up two inches of diameter, you know? I put that in there, brings our RPMs right back down where they're supposed to be. So we're going to run 455 tires on it instead of 445 tires. Both of them are 22.5. One's a little harder to find, but my tire guy is uh, no problems. We're going to have them tomorrow. And mm -hmm. so fix the problem. So we get, the, so we take this truck down to, to a, first of all, we're wanting to leave the truck up there with, with an inspection oh, station so that God we can almighty. come on home. Okay. What this a nightmare. In, this is in upper friggin' Michigan. Okay. Wait, 30 miles south of the Mackinac Bridge, way the hell up there, okay? Yeah. And so we're trying, we're calling all the Landstar. By the way, there's not any. There was one in Saginaw and one in 
in Ann Arbor and one in uh, Grand Rapids and a couple. We call all these places, and and they're like, oh, no, you can't leave it. You've got to be here to pull it in and out of the shop. You know, really. So we finally found this. And I will tell you about this guy, okay, because I think he needs to be, be recognized. Yeah. We found this independent called Drury Brothers somewhere in, what's it called? Dr- oh, well, anyway, he, let me consult you, the book of knowledge real quick. If, if you look on Landstar's inspection list, you'll see him. Okay. Drew Bros. guys on a guy. Well, we drive the truck out there and it's a farm. It's a, it's a, it's a working farm. Durand, Michigan. Durand, the guy's name is Kurt. So they've got a barn out there and they, it's, it's a truck shop, legitimate truck shop. And you had to go through the cows and we had to wait for the hay baler to get out of the way and everything before we could pull it in the, <laughs> We finally get in the shop and talk to Kurt. Kurt's like, yeah, no problem. And leave, you know, I leave it here. I'll get to it in a couple of days. And, and I said, uh, you know, we'll be back after it next week. You know, just f- find what it needs, to, uh, fix it. Let me know what it is. Send me the, send me the uh, inspection as soon as you can. So I can get this thing on with Landstar. So that's the first thing you have to do. So he calls me the next day and, and he goes, well, uh, here's what's going to have to have to pass. He said, I had to scrape some grease. Somebody really, really did a good job of greasing. I've scraped the grease off some things, but that's okay. And then he said one other thing. I'm what did, what a little, did little air leak in a dash. Well, there was something else before that. There was something else minor that he did. And he said, it wouldn't fail. It. He said, I'm just going to fix it for him. He said, the only thing that'll fail it is there's an air leak somewhere in the dash. Now, dude, this is a 1999 century with 1.4 million miles on it. And this is a real Landstar inspector who really gives a rat's ass. And only thing he can find to fail it is an air leak in the dash. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, dude, knock it out. We can't get there for another week. I remembered that uh, one of the MD alignment guys up in, up in Michigan, Jim Fowler, I called him. I said, Hey Jim, uh, I finally going to get to do some business with you. I got a truck in Michigan. How about you going over there and, and doing an alignment on, on Friday and, putting torque rod, torque uh, bushings and everything in it. No problem. He goes over there on Friday, replaces all the spring bushings and the torque rods. And he, he said, dude, he said, the kingpins are tight. All the wheel bearings are tight. He said, the tie rod ends tight. He said, the only thing wrong with this thing is nobody has ever changed the bushings. It was a half inch off on the front and three quarters inch off on the rear axle, Rockley. And that was it. It's done. And you drove it and you drove it to Indianapolis today. How to drive? Oh, like a dream. He would... I mean, you, listen. I drove. I drove the twenty. I've driven the twenty sixteens. I've driven the twenty eighteen. Give me that ninety nine century. That thing rides like a dream. Handles. It's now, ridiculous. I'm gonna tell you. We paid eighteen thousand five hundred dollars for it. Okay, can haul freight with it already if we wanted to. We're doing our modifications to it to get it squared away. But no one box. We ain't going to be down for a knock sensor, you know, where you could buy this truck and be hauling freight for 18. You could, you could pay this truck off as a, as, as a BCO in about four weeks and be, and, and, ha, and be debt free, no truck payment, hauling freight, making three grand a week, you know? Yeah. But, but I'm the lunatic. So what the fuck I know. Right. So. Right. <laughs> so, so, and, and really the only things legitimately wrong, the air conditioner doesn't work. Which is probably, you know, a seal, an O ring or something. Well, it's set for a and, year. So yeah, set for a year. And we think maybe has an injector hanging. 
because it's a little it's a little cranky in the morning, but once it gets warmed up, it's fine. But dude, that's nothing, you know. Um, but you could you could literally haul freight with it right now, you know. It's it it's just it's an incredible. It's a it's a holy grail once in a lifetime truck that you find, you know. And this this truck is going to make a lot and of people. I, and I found it. I got it. Yeah, we bought it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to. All right. Little, little announcement here before we wrap up. Okay. Yeah. We have got a opportunity, uh, that we didn't think New. we'd ever have. Okay. Cause I know nothing about it. I, Chris thinks he does, but I just think he's all <laughs> air, but we literally have going to, we're going to open up a limited platform division. Okay. One of our strategic partners has heavy haul experience and is an SD 18 or whatever it is, you know? And so, um, he is, we've got our first guy in it right now. Uh, Rocky's truck is, uh, is, is being converted with a headache rack and all the necessary things to pull platform. So we just found out today that we have an opportunity to get a second truck already set up for heavy haul. So, um, we're going to be looking for candidates that want to come here and, and do the blue ribbon program, but do it on the platform side instead of the drive box side. So if that's, uh, we've never had that before and it's going to be, you know, we're not going to have a bunch. We're going to have one or two at the most, unless you guys just kill us with it. And then we have to go start buying platform trucks. But anyway, that's, we're going to do it. We got, we got the, we got the, the, the experienced guy that's going to be the mentor and the dispatcher and, and so uh, we're we're good to go. So if anybody's interested in, and maybe haven't haven't reached out to us because we don't do platform, well, here's your chance. So we're going to be looking for one in the next few weeks. And um, so let us know if you if that's what interests you. So um, what else we got? I'm going. Uh, any any of you guys that are going to be going to Vegas with the BCO days? I'm I'll be there. Uh, let me know. Look, look me up. We'll try to get together. I am going to drinks try to, on Larry. <laughs> I am going to try to put together a fleet owners, um, uh, meeting out there. So anybody listening, that's a fleet owner. We'd like to get, get with you out there. And we're going to try to organize, you know, loosely a, a little organization since there's not much in support at Landstar for fleet owners. We can help each other. So yeah. what else you got, man? I think that's it. I think we've done enough damage for one day. We uh, Attitude, Attitude is everything, guys. Attitude, there's a lot of things you can't control every day. Attitude's not one of them. You ha- you're the only person that can decide whether your attitude's good or bad. And that's the, the biggest thing in, in, in starting relationships and keeping relationships is your attitude and understanding that for the relationship to work, you've got to give more than you take. So with that. Yep. All right, we'll see you all next time. My work here is done. Good night. (laughs)